Welcome to Millennial Pagan Podcast. I'm your host, Autumn Wolf. And I'm Jarrah Stone. And uh, we have a uh, returning uh, returning guest. I almost said returning customer. We have Jay Allen Cross back in studio with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you both for having me back on. No, thank you for coming back. I'm super excited because your new book for us recording today is like only been out two or three days. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so exciting. Jay's new book is The Witch's Guide to the Paranormal, How to Investigate, Communicate, and Clear Spirits. And I loved it. I've always been really into ghosts and the paranormal and like hauntings and stuff. I'm one of those OG like ghost hunters, watchers. And I will confess it's mostly because I just want to see the history of the locations and like what ghosts are supposedly living there. So your book came out in it and I love, 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 love it. I'm so glad. I love that it came out too, just in time for spooky season. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ready. Yes. That way people can like devour it and be prepared and kind of have a better understanding of where they're going and what they're doing. Exactly. I want to encourage lots of spooky investigating over the next couple of months. <laughs> I want people to get out there, see what they can find. Yay. Yeah, I know there, there's a lot of hot spots out here in Arizona, especially being, mm. being you know, that, that land with the big hole in the ground that mm-hmm. just goes deeper and deeper into the uh into the history of the earth i like that i actually have a uh, i've actually done an investigation out of the grand canyon years ago and that was uh it actually inspired a fan fiction of kind of a ghostbusters style movie that i'm i've been writing for the past 10 years (laughs) that is so cool that's gonna be it seems seems a little scooby-doo like, oh yeah yeah oh yeah amusingly the scooby-doo theme songs kind of been in my head all day not because it's related or anything but like i'm parking or pulling out of a parking spot and going dooby dooby doo and my roommates were with me and they're like what's going on i'm like i don't know it's in my head today yep i love that that's hilarious yes i think maybe because i finally decided i'm gonna be velma for halloween this year for work Oh, that's hilarious. I love that. (laughs) I was sort of thinking the same thing because I did see two guys dress up as Fred and Velma, but like did it like gender bender style. So Velma was a dude. And I thought that that was amazing. And I was like, I kind of maybe want to do that. So maybe we can be Velma together this year. Yes. We should take pictures and post them and be silly. Scooby-Doo in the multiverse. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Love it. Anyway. So listeners, if you have not heard Jay's coming of witch story, go back to our previous episode on American Brujeri. Did I do it right this time? (laughs) American Brujeria. Thank you. No, I did not do it right, but uh, it's okay. It's a weird word. It is. <laughs> Especially from somebody as clear as you. Uh, thanks for calling me ghostly. <laughs> uh, I'm better fit for this topic then, right? Oh, no. Tis the season, right? <laughs> oh, yes. So <laughs> if you go back there, you can listen to his coming of witch story. But instead of a coming of witch, what we're going to ask is a little bit of a background of how you got into paranormal investigating. Ah, so I started doing this real early on. So I grew up as a psychic medium. It was just something that was happening to me. It wasn't something that I really trained to be. It was something that I was more training to try and put a leash on it, um, essentially. So that was something that I realized was happening at a really young age. And 
with it, for some reason, and I was never sure why, but I always had this really intense sense of responsibility and duty. I, I Even as a kid, I didn't feel like it was just a quirk that I had. It was It was something that I was given for a reason to do something with. And so I always just kind of knew that eventually I would be utilizing it in some way. And then in high school, I was about 15, 16. My whole family is is psychic to varying degrees. We all kind of have our specialties. Um, My mother was doing some work in the community as an animal communicator, otherwise known as a pet psychic. And that was going very well. Um, But then people started coming to her like, hey, so you're a psychic. Um, I think my home's haunted. Can you come out and look at it? And she's like, no, but... uh, do you want my son to take a look? <laughs> so I'm like 15, 16 years old, starting to go out to people's like businesses or their homes that they think are haunted. Um, and I begin doing that work by myself. And I did that for about five years. Um, and then after moving to Portland, I kind of accidentally became part of this paranormal investigation team. I how it kind of happened was I was having difficulty doing one-on-one mediumship readings, but like reading something like a haunted house was super easy for me, but to like sit down with someone and talk to their dead people was really hard. And I found myself at a psychic fair and there was a psychic medium that had like her table and she was open and no one was there. So I kind of came, I sat down with her and I was like, Hey, like, I'm not really here for a reading, but do you have any advice for helping me in that? And she kind of looks at me for a minute and goes, I'm going to give you a card because I think you should join our team. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had I had no idea who this woman was. We had had literally that much interaction. And she's like, I think you'd be a perfect fit. Um, and I've been with them for almost the last 10 years. So like that, it's like just instantly sit down and you, you have a, you have a job. <laughs> right, exactly. And she was right. I fit in perfectly with them and I love them dearly. So how long have you been investigating with a group? Um, for about the last, I believe I've been with them for about nine years. I want to say, Ooh, time flies. <laughs> it was like four years. Oh wait, no, it's been definitely longer than that. Oh yeah. And then you count yeah. on your face and you're like, how has it yeah. been this long? Mm-hmm. So that is awesome. Would you be able to tell us a like memorable experience that you've had when working with them? Oh, certainly. Gosh, there have been so many. Um, there was one that we were working with the the same woman who who found me at the psychic fair. Her name's Aurora, and I adore her. And we end up doing a lot of investigations together because uh, we, we work really well together. And so we were out of this property in the middle of nowhere in Oregon, like super rural. It was like an old homestead. This house had been like in their family for like four generations that people had like lived and died there, been born there, died there, like old school. And there was this spirit there who had certain challenges and we were trying to communicate with them and they were having kind of some difficulties and we came to find out that they were actually buried on the property and really their family hadn't really told anybody that they existed so much. They, they were, they were very sad, but they were very kind of still interested in the family that was there and all that stuff, but they needed to move on to the other side because, you know, just kind of hanging around saying there, and they were kind of causing some troubles um, with the new baby that was in the family. And so we decided to help them move on through the light and they agreed to it. And one of the things that we like to do when 
a spirit is nervous to go through the light because it can be very scary, especially when you don't know, you know, what's on the other side, you don't know what's happening. You know, it, it can, it can be very scary for them. And so to make that process easier, a lot of the times we'll ask them like, okay, well, is there somebody that you know, that's gone before you that we can have, we can ask them to come through and kind of escort you through, you know, usually people come back with like, oh yeah, like my, my mom or, or, you know, my grandparent or, you know, my husband or, you know, whoever went before them. And this one was so funny because, you know, we kind of asked the spirit, okay, you know, who's, who's on the other side that you would really like to see again, that can, that you trust that can take you through the light. And both of us at the same time get the same thing. And it was the first time this had ever happened where we both saw this little black dog. I know. And I was like this, I am immediately just melted into a thousand pieces. And so we asked, we're like, okay, like, can this dog come through? And they did. And then this guy was so excited and decided to go through the light and everything was happy and everything was joyous and wonderful. And I, that's something that really stuck with me um, because that's the first time anybody had ever said an animal. Um, But also I had a feeling that for this person, uh, the living people around them in their lives probably didn't always know what to do with them. And I find that animals, especially dogs, uh, don't really judge. So I, I like that. Oh, I'm going to cry. That's adorable. <laughs> uh, so what, what would you say was like one of your first, first experiences that kind of, kind of gave you that, that nudge of saying, Hey, this is kind of something I want to, I, I want to actively follow. Hmm. Well, it kind of started, like I said, it started really early in childhood and one of the first things that began happening for me after what I call my download, which is where I had a series of really intense migraines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards I began to have dreams that would come true, um, that were future oriented. So I told my mom at that time, I was probably like seven. I think I'm psychic. And she's like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, my mom's pretty chill, like pretty open-minded. Um, but she like, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, all right, you know, I thought I was an X-Men like, you know, a week before. So I mean, you know, she's like, <laughs> okay, cool. And she talked to one of her friends who was kind of like, as, as you would say into this stuff. And her friend was like, actually, you know, if he thinks he is, he probably is. Um, and so my mom was like, okay. And so the next day my mom comes home from work and she worked at a hair salon at that time. And she has a, a magazine clipping. And I'm going to date myself here a little bit, but the magazine article was about a new show that was about to come out called Medium that was centered around a woman named Allison Dubois, who was, who was a real person um, in Arizona who was helping police do investigative work uh, through psychic means. She was helping them solve crimes. Um, she came home with this article and was like, look, there are other people out there like you who have dreams, who can do this. And they're, they're able to help people. Like, look, she's solving crimes. She's helping police. She's like, you could do that too. And then I was like, I, I had already known that there was something I needed to do with it. But when she handed me that, I was like, okay, there is a future here there. I meant to do something with this. And so I knew I was supposed to do something. The paranormal work did come and I have worked on unofficially have worked on some missing persons cases, which have been uh, really really wonderful to be a part of. That's amazing. So diving into your book, 
you have a whole lot of content in here. And I love that you even say, Hey, this isn't supposed to be an intro to witchy book, but it is directed towards witches or people who are in the know. So most of our listeners, or I would think Mm -hmm. almost all of our listeners. So there is like a couple of basic chapters that like are things that you learn in your basic witchy book, but how they also pertain to this work. And your book, what I love about it isn't just telling you how to investigate paranormal circumstances. It's how to help and like deal with them. Like you just Mm -hmm. said, helping that one spirit pass and how to help people with these issues. I feel like a lot of the shows that we're seeing on TV, like ghost hunters and stuff, it's just the investigation, not the dealing with it. And in some of the cases, like, of course, the big castles and things that aren't currently Mm -hmm. occupied or they draw people in because they're haunted they kind of want them to stick around but the other houses and stuff like yeah they want to know what's happening but at the same time they want to resolve it so that they can live in their houses and Mm -hmm. these shows aren't showing them how to resolve it or even showing normal people like here's some things that you can do whereas you go from a very like here's the the basics if it's a not a hard thing to a if it's a really big deal of a thing here's kind of how i could handle it and maybe you could work up to handling that or here's the resources on how to do that Mm -hmm. so that i'm guessing that was your whole point of this book because that's kind (laughs) of you say that in the very beginning (laughs) yeah so it's very important to me to help teach people not just to investigate but then what do you do how do you help you know not just kind of be like because that, that was a sense of that was a source of frustration for me w- doing this work is people would contact me from out of state or too far away for me to really get to or help. And so I'd contact their local paranormal investigation team. I'd be like, hey, this family is dealing with this type of activity. Um, they're really scared. Can you go out there and and do something to help fix it or, or kind of make sure that they feel safe? And they're like, we can't do that, but we'd love to come take photos. And I'm like, that's not helpful. Um, So I'm trying to kind of put that information out there so that more people know what to do with the haunting besides just document it. Right. And I love that you constantly say resolve because a resolution doesn't necessarily mean somebody's going to the light where it stops. It might mm-hmm. mean coexisting. And you do mention that a lot. And mm-hmm. I really love that, that it's not just making it stop or making it go away in some cases. And mm-hmm. so, um, we're going to, for the listeners, just so you know, we're going to dive into a couple of select chapters. That way we don't give away the whole book. We still want you to go out and buy this mag- magnificent book, but I want you guys to get just that little taste, the odors, if you will. Um, but let's talk about the chapter that you talk you start the paranormal investigating basics. So like, mm-hmm. and also what could be going on obviously so how do you start investigating what could be going on and then we'll go from there (laughs) absolutely so my biggest advice and kind of where i start with that chapter is kind of getting in touch with yourself and asking you yourself you know why why do i want to join this world of paranormal investigation what is my goal um because understanding your why is really going to dictate pretty much everything from that point on out um you know do you want to join paranormal investigation because you want proof of the afterlife or 
you not really care so much about the evidence, but you want to help people who are, um, you know, do you want to be on TV? You know, there's like all these different reasons why people join paranormal investigation and knowing your why is going to help um, kind of orient you kind of in which direction. So it's going to dictate um, how you investigate, where you investigate and with who, because either if you're going to join a paranormal team or if you're going to create one, you need to make sure that all of you have the same goal. Otherwise you're going to just be going off in different directions all the time. I was very lucky that I found a paranormal investigation team the very first one that this woman brought me to, we all had the same goal, which was basically helping people, helping spirits. And so that was really, that that's our, our why, why we're there. Um, and then from there, you know, what I go into in the book is um, how to build your own paranormal investigation team, kind of the different roles on the team as well and why they're important. And I wanted to put that in because I get a whole lot of people contacting me that are like, well, I want to do this, but none but i can't get on a team none of them are open to having investigators on a lot of teams will either be like a very specific friend group and they're not really interested in having other people or they'll have other things so when i first tried to join teams in portland a lot of them had weird things like you have to be at least 30 to be on the team or something like that and i was like 20 at the time so like you know people are running into that and my response is always well go start your own you can do that and so in that chapter, I kind of walk you through kind of the anatomy of a team, as well as a lot of uh, the different language that you're going to come in contact with for investigations. Because sometimes you get around investigators and it's like a completely different, like they're, it's like they're, they're speaking a different language. So, you know, the words, acronyms, things like that, like um, ADC, which is like after death communication or EVP, which is like electro voice phenomenon, like all kinds of stuff. So I kind of walk you through that so you can orient yourself within the community, which is really helpful. So that was very important. I love that you talk about the different types of technology as well and describe mm-hmm. what they do. We always see on these TV shows and such that they're using these things and they're like, this means this. And it's like, well, how do you get that? And when you describe what these pieces of technology actually do, like, oh, okay, it doesn't sound or look so junk science-y when you're watching it happen. Like that makes more sense and why and how to get the gauge or the range or even your starting point from there on. So Mm -hmm. that is, even if you don't want to do any of the paranormal investigation, if you just want to have a better understanding of how it works, Mm -hmm. I still say, get this book 100%. And I'm going to say that a hundred times. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) Like this, I've been so excited since he teased this book that he was going to have it out. And I was just like, ah, so. (laughs) Wonderful. Yes. And then I'm from what I've read, a lot of those team roles can cross over. Like one person can be multiple things at once and still Mm -hmm. be active and like not overly too much, or you can even have one person in each role. What roles do you normally play in your group? Absolutely. So I fulfill a few different roles. So I am psychic medium. I'm also a cult specialist on the team, um, and occasionally investigator. What's funny though, is pretty much the bulk of our team, I'd say about 97% of our team are psychics or psychic mediums, at least to certain extent. And so that makes us a really unique team because we're all kind of like tuning in together (laughs) to everything that's happening around us, which is very neat and something that you don't often find. Sometimes paranormal investigation teams will have like one, maybe two psychics at the most, usually ones that they just kind of bring in occasionally when they feel like they need them. But I I always encourage them to at least have one full-time psychic because it's 
it's like going to a foreign country without a translator. <laughs> it's like, it's just going to be helpful. So absolutely that people can overlap. So I'm kind of far away from my team at this point. So I'm looking to start my own kind of satellite team outside of it in which I would be team lead, but I'd also be psychic medium for the team as well. Or like our, our case manager on the team is also one of um, our investigators. So you have a lot of crossover through it. So as long as it works for your team dynamic, you can have a bunch of crossover or multiple jobs per person. That makes sense. And I bet you having multiple psychics on the team kind of gives you this sense of like, okay, I am right. Like when yes. you, when you guys all have the same sense, it kind of, it, it, it just makes you feel more comfortable because it's like, okay, I'm hearing the same thing or I'm seeing the same thing. And mm. And it's just, it's probably very like calming. For that. It is very validating when yes. everyone gets the same thing. Validating. That's the word I couldn't find. Yeah. Yes. So I think the next part of that chapter, you dive into how to select people that are contacting you to actually go out and help them and how mm. to like go through that process of selecting somebody that you're going to be taking on as a client. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that can be a difficult process because when you do something like paranormal investigation or, I mean, anything that's sort of like, you know, witchy or, you know, out there like that, or if you're doing like UFOs or any of those things, you're going to attract a lot of different people. And some of them are very stable individuals and some of them are not. And so you will occasionally get emails or things like that that are like, hey, there are a bunch of aliens in my closet and they really want my spaghetti. And it's like, okay, like I can't, right. I can't do anything like that. So it's, and it's kind of a hard subject to, to talk about, but I think it's important because we do run into a whole lot of people with mental illness who think that they have hauntings. And that can be very tricky to try and navigate of, you know, where, where do we actually have a case or where should we step in versus where we shouldn't? And what is the scope of our practice? You know, are we going to cause harm if we actually step into this? So it's something that people who are coming into this work need to be kind of prepared for a little bit, but also have compassion for, and also kind of have a sense of what to do. Maybe if you need to provide them with some resources, you can, if you need to contact somebody, depending on what the, what they're sending in, in their, you know, email or their first contact, definitely do that if you, if you need to, or if you can, but it's something that you need to kind of filter through. At the same time, you also need to filter through what you are capable of handling in the paranormal sense. So if you've just begun and this is your first case and someone comes at you like, we have like a straight up like possession situation here with the crosses on the walls turning upside down and like two people have died. Like, you know, maybe we don't take this one. <laughs> Maybe we refer you to somebody else because it's really, really important whether it is someone that you're speaking with who is having um, a mental health crisis or if they're having a big uh, paranormal crisis to be very honest with yourself about what you are capable of handling and not necessarily having shame in that, but being honest with yourself because that's going to be very important to not only keep you safe, but to keep them safe as well. Yeah, I know that in, in a lot of spaces, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about, you know, having a, this, this kind of a team doing exorcisms and mm-hmm. it, it's, it's two completely different realms to do an investigation and to do an exorcism. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's definitely something where uh, a, a clear line does need to be drawn. Absolutely. And people don't realize, too, that like when we're talking about like the kind of traditional like, you know, Catholic exorcism situation, even the church doesn't just willy nilly go out and do exorcisms. You have to, first of all, provide proof that they need it. And then often they need to be analyzed by a psychologist as well. They, there's a lot of different layers you have to go through before the church it, it sanctions an exorcism. So a lot of times people, you know, from the movies think that, oh yeah, the Catholics are just sending out people randomly and just, you know, in, in the past that mm-hmm. has been a thing, but, but these days getting an exorcism is actually very difficult and it actually requires a lot of um like psychological attention things like that before they'll give you the the green flag for that i I will say that one of the most accurate representations of that that i've seen in media is actually the conjuring series Mm -hmm. yeah where you know they're they're you know, not very willy nilly with sending people out to do these exorcisms or to do this type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, nowhere near a professional, inve- professional investigator. I've been a part of a couple different investigations. I've been a part of a couple of exorcisms, mm-hmm. but even then, you know, like, look, like watching these movies, it's, it's by far one of the most accurately representative of what the, what the scope is and what, you know, Mm -hmm. the process that everything needs to go through. Absolutely. All right. So we are going to go ahead and actually take a quick break and get a little bit more into, uh, into this book and kind of get into a bit of a bit of a deeper dive into what it takes to actually do these kinds of investigations. So uh, we'll be, uh, we'll be right back. All right, we are back with J. Allen Cross talking about witchy paranormal investigating. I like, I like that. Right. Well, Jay, I think we've kind of gotten to the how to become a paranormal investigator, how to select clients. How about we go ahead and move on to what could be happening in a home? Hmm. All kinds of stuff. Let me tell you, (laughs) if there is one thing that doing this paranormal work has taught me is that the truth is always stranger than fiction. Like, you know, the scary movies and stuff, they may have great special effects, but what's actually going on is always a lot weirder. But what I've found through both my experience and my research is that pretty much all hauntings can be broken down into four different categories. So we have a residual haunting, We have an earthbound human spirit haunting, a poltergeist, and an inhuman entity haunting is your fourth one. And these are interesting because out of these four, only two of them actually have spirits that are involved. So your residual haunting is actually a memory that gets trapped in a space, essentially. And a poltergeist, a lot of people, for for 
understandable reasons, often believe that a poltergeist is a human spirit generally that is angry or um, mischievous in some way that's causing problems. But what we've actually come to find is that poltergeist phenomenon is actually caused by living human people like you and I, um, who are throwing off uh, massive amounts of energy. And what we call this is... um, unintentional PK activity or, or psychokinetic activity. Um, so people who are, who meet a certain criteria, a lot of the time, usually these people are very bright. Usually these people are very young, um, generally going through adolescence at about the time um, when they're creating poltergeist activity um, and they're under pressure a lot of the time as well. So either um, they're under a lot of like academic pressure from their family or maybe um there's some big emotional disruption, like a divorce happening um, that causes these individuals to throw off a great deal of energy that has to go somewhere. And that's when you get this strange nonsensical activity, like things just stacking themselves or um, sometimes even like indoor weather events or one of the most uh, famous, we were talking about the conjuring earlier, one of the most famous poltergeists uh, ever recorded was the Enfield case around this little girl named Janet. And one of the things that they would notice happening is marbles that did not belong to anybody in the family would just appear just shooting across the room at like high speeds and they would often be described as being hot to the touch and when they would hit the ground they wouldn't bounce they would just stick wow and just stay put like just weird stuff so poltergeists are are very strange and i do find as well whether the person is a, a young person or a fully grown adult will change what kind of activity you get. When it's with children, they tend to be very playful. They tend to do things like scrawl rude words on the walls using like ketchup, things like that. They tend to be very mischievous. When they are caused by adults though, who are often going through, if if an adult is going to cause poltergeist activity, they're usually going through something very intense. And so poltergeist activity from adults will often be a lot scarier, a lot more sinister. But also whole groups of people can create this as well. So one of the cases we were working on was about five different people who were all related and living in the same house together. And I'm sitting on a couch across from them and they're trying to describe to me what's going on, but none of them can get out more than a couple of sentences before someone jumps in and is like, no, no, that's not how that happened, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly they're all squawking and bickering and then yelling at each other. And we're sitting in there in their living room looking at these people like, what are you doing? Um, no wonder you're having problems because they're generating all this energy that has to go somewhere. And they had very intense activity in that home. So poltergeist stuff will kind of be created by that. And then, of course, you have earthbound human spirit, which is, you know, your run-of-the-mill ghost, a human who has died but not crossed over. And then your inhuman spirit entity is a very broad category. When people hear inhuman spirit, they immediately go to like demons and evil things and scary things. But also in this category is things like fairies, you know, earth spirits or Mm -hmm. land spirits that are around. And Mm -hmm. so it's a very wide category that isn't all scary. Though, let me tell you, land and forest spirits can be very scary when you anger them. Um, I I would rather go up against what I call in the book negative entities any day than a disgruntled forest spirit, which I have come across. And let me tell you, that got Blair Witch Project E really fast and I was not into it. So um, (laughs) before you cut down a lot of trees to build your house, take a moment, ask yourself if you really want to do that. (laughs) Oof, scary. All right. So how do you 
figure out what you're experiencing. Absolutely. So all of them will, all of them have kind of telltale signs. So a residual haunting might look like an earthbound human spirit because it's often, um, so kind of your classic residual haunting is we've all heard some story about um, this old house where a woman can be seen walking down the third floor hallway to the window where she looks out at the sea waiting for her love to come home or whatever, who like, you know, went out on a fishing boat, never came back or whatever. But the thing is, is that those stories are always like, you know, it's every day at 3 p.m. You see it, you know, happening. That That's when you see her or that's when you see her the most often and is always doing that activity. Earthbound human spirits, though sometimes they do keep a schedule, don't keep one that tight. They'll be seen elsewhere around the property. If it's a residual haunting, though, it's a memory that's stuck there that's getting replayed over and over and over again. So you can kind of tell the difference there a little bit where um, and also uh, residual haunting will not interact with you. So if you try to do like an EVB or something like that, it won't, it won't respond. But in an intelligent spirit that's actually there, like an actual spirit there will respond. Poltergeist phenomenon is marked by being very random. Usually like a, like if it's an earthbound spirit, they'll be trying to get your attention maybe, but Poltergeist activity doesn't seem to make sense or is very off the wall. Sometimes quite literally, um, things will come off of the wall <laughs> or they, they like to defy physics a lot as well. So um, indoor weather events just starts raining in your living room or uh, the living room furniture decides to just put itself on the ceiling and arrange itself there for no reason. Something that's very common with poltergeist activity is stacked objects. So like all the books on the shelf behind you will like just create this big tower or like forks end to end straight up vertically. will just like hold it there. Very weird stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thinking Ghostbusters in the library. Yes. Just the, the book stacked in every single row. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Just weird stuff like that. Just because it's just looking to just just kind of um, release energy. It just it has to go somewhere. So would you say Bell Witch in Texas was probably a poltergeist activity? You know, the Bell Witch is such a weird case. Right. But that's one that I still am like... I don't know what's happening. That one, um, the Bell Witch is in a way similar, not as weird, but similar to uh, there's Jeff the Talking Mongoose, the haunted uh, family for a while, which is kind of like this disembodied voice that used to tell them things and like it used to know things. Oh, I think um, I've heard about that one before. Yeah. Very I'm like, like... Yeah. Uh, My friend Z covered it for her podcast called Ghosts and Hose. If, if you check that out, but it's the, the bell, Witch was one of those ones where I'm like, I, even I don't know what is going on. Right. Here. Cause there is a disembodied voice, but otherwise mm-hmm. a lot of the activity does remind me of what you're describing as a poltergeist. And a lot of the times people will try mm. to blame it on the daughter. Mm. Yeah. You, you see a lot of blame in the paranormal field because <laughs> people, yeah. we, we need that, what they call, you know, cognitive closure where it's like, mm-hmm. like, you know, like the Enfield case, you know, a lot of people just go, oh, it was the kids pulling pranks. And I'm like, there were so many people in that house, like people moved in with them for years at a time during that period. Like 
it was not all of them. Like, were were the kids found like pulling pranks on occasion? Yes, but because they're small children in a house full of people and it's boring. Like, mm-hmm. you're you're gonna you're gonna do some stuff, but mm-hmm. definitely not the whole thing. You even make a point in the book when you're telling the reader how to start the investigation to kind of pay attention to adolescents, but especially girls. And Mm -hmm. I know, and from what I know that girls are more likely to cause a poltergeist. Do you have a theory as to why? I don't necessarily have a personal theory. There have been a few that I have come across that do make sense. I, I grew up with a sister and you know, girl children tend to mature a lot faster. Um, they tend to be a little bit brighter a little bit earlier on, um, which is kind of part of the criteria for poltergeist phenomenon. And then there's this thing through puberty too, both with boys and girls where, you know, your body's going through so many chemical changes, that's throwing off energy as well. But then you compound on top, you know, emotional energy as well. If you have like a 12, 13 year old girl in your house, like that's, there's going to be a lot of, of that kind of blasting energy that happens every so often, which I think it just kind of increases the potential for that. Also, we've kind of seen throughout history, there is some predisposition for women to be better at things like psychic work, not always but kind of like tend that direction a little bit Mm -hmm. um, which might be part of it one of our uh, one of the few laboratory tested uh, psychokinetics a woman named nina was a former poltergeist agent or or someone who who caused poltergeist activity as a child and then when she grew up they actually put her in a laboratory where she would move things with her mind Ooh. and they, they, they put her under all kinds of different scenarios and they, they check her for all kinds of things and put them under glass and stuff like that. And she'd still move them. So who knows really though? I kind of, at least personally, I kind of feel like it's a, it's definitely more of a connection with emotion mm-hmm. because I mean, for, I mean, it, it's, it is pretty prevalent that, you know, females are more in tune with emotion and they're able to, to dive deeper than, than boys are, mm-hmm. are told to. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think for the probably similar chemical time frame, boys, when they're 14 or 15 is when you see them the most physically destructive, like where they're mm-hmm. out causing havoc around the community or they're getting into fist fights and stuff. And I think those are when they get that same energy out. So mm-hmm. they don't have to find a psychic way to get it out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I always say that Whereas girls are more yeah. supposed to act a specific way during mm-hmm. that, which is, this, yeah. 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 And it's that 13, 14 age for girls for the same reason you mentioned 14, 15 for boys. And that, and that's when you get to see like them going out with um, spray paint and all that stuff and starting fist mm-hmm. fights in school. So, yeah, I th- kind of think it's a little bit of all of the above. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. My, myself, but I just, I wanted to see if you had a theory and like, I agree 100%. Anyway, so non-human entities. Uh, yeah. So those will be a little bit different depending on what it is that you're dealing with. The kind of what I mostly focus on in the book is what I call kind of like your run of the mill um, negative entity or what I would call like a house entity. This is something that I run across very frequently. 
is just kind of a species that you're going to most likely run into when you are coming across this type of haunting. Um, you'll often find that there will suddenly be one particular space in the house that is suddenly very unwelcoming. Um, suddenly, like a place you're like, maybe even subconsciously actively avoiding um, because you don't like it. And it's so funny because this is an area I refer to in the book as the nest of kind of like where it lives. <laughs> I I have people ask me all the time, like, okay, well, how do you know when you, when you find it? Um, and my very unhelpful answer is you will know because mm-hmm. it's that room where you open the door and you go, nope, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you close it again. Even if the room isn't creepy or like, it's a very normal room, you just walk in and you're like, mm-mm. No, and then you come back out. It's a very distinct feeling. Um, a lot of the times it'll be um, in basement areas. It will be, um, they really love things like uh, the cupboard or the closet under the stairs uh, <laughs> is something that they're really into for some reason. And it's an in-between space. Yes, an in-between space or like um, the the guest bedroom that's mm. pretty much just a storage area that you haven't gone in in the last six months. Um, they love those places as well. So when it comes to like your run of the mill negative entity haunting, it will kind of start like that. That will kind of come in and kind of settle in a very specific area, mm-hmm. and then kind of spread from there. Right. Low traffic areas. Yes. Yeah, because then they can hide. Yeah. I mean, feel that there's like just normal spirits in my house that don't know how to interact with us yet. Cause our move was very strange. Like we physically moved in, but our stuff never came. So like we didn't fill the house very quickly. And now that we're getting to the point where we are walking into a lot more of those spaces, it's kind of forcing them to go, okay, now we have to get know you. They're not afraid. I never get the sense that they're afraid of us or they don't like us. It's more like you're weird. So I can hang out in here. So I'm going to hang out in here. Like, and now, I guess you live here now. So. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. And it, it's none of it. I would say is a ghost. I think it's more like just what you normally have in your land or in the house and stuff like that. Like your regular, like house fairies and things like that. And they're just mm-hmm. like, mm, we'll go hide over here, up here, <laughs> down there in this space. And now they're like, oh, you're moving around in here now. <laughs> all right we'll get to know you i guess yeah, they're still absolutely. hanging they're still hanging out in their spots like mm. they're like are you sure you went that color couch yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah that, that pattern does not go well with this this coloring on the carpet right. sometimes the house spirits it can be judgy it's fine yeah. yeah there's a little bit of judgment but for the most part like the actual spirit of the house is very happy because we moved in and we started immediately doing upgrades that were good for the house so the oh, house nice. is very happy and the house is like oh i have people living me again good. and then we have one of the oldest trees in our town that's always just like oh hi bye <laughs> it's right at our driveway so it gets to be like where are you going what are you doing? And it's going to be so expensive to clean off its dead parts, but it's like, it can feel, it's like, well, you're going to take care of me soon. Right. Soon. Eventually (laughs) you brought a person over who looked at me and went, Oh, I don't have the equipment for that. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to have to go back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he's very boisterous and like very cool. And he's an old maple. So. Oh, I like that. Yeah. He's like a, he, he's like one of those fancy grandpas. Yeah. <laughs> I love a fancy grandpa. Yes. Yeah. That's what I get from our big tree. But anyway, I digress non-human entities. So 
Let me see. We, I mentioned that you do kind of give people an idea of how to start. So when you walk into a house, you know that there's these four different types of things that could be going on. Mm-hmm. How do you figure out when you're in this space, other than what you've already described, like what is your method? What do you do? So for me personally, Um, because I do have the the psychic abilities to do so. I I walk you through alternate kind of ways of going about it in, in the book, as far as like, you know, interviewing the client or utilizing like pendulums to kind of get yes or no answers. Um, but for me personally, I do the whole thing from showing up to their house to identifying it, fixing it and leaving within about four hours. I like to kind of make that be the cutoff. Um, Essentially what I do is I show up, I have a brief conversation with the people that are there. I often send them stuff ahead of time. That's like, um, I talk about this in the book too. That's like, Hey, um, don't have 72 people there when I show up. Cause, uh, when they hear paranormal investigators are coming, um, they tend to, it draws a little bit of a crowd. Um, so I kind of show up, kind of be like, Hey, um, kind of, you know, greet them, talk with them, ask them if they have any questions. Um, and then I ask them, you know, is there any place in the house where you don't want me to go? Um, and they know ahead of time when we walking through. So usually I haven't ever had anybody have any certain sticks with that. Um, so then, but I always like to check. And mm-hmm. I also ask them as well, um, do you want to know what I find? Because some people are like, absolutely. I'm so curious. And other people are like, nope, just make it go away. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> because they're like, cannot, cannot. Um, so that's fine. So, I've already dealt with this enough. Please just get it out. Yeah. They're like, I just know. Um, so then I go walking through the home and I talk you through the, in the book, kind of how to go about a psychic walkthrough. And I kind of follow the energy and I go around until I feel I've picked up enough to kind of put the story together of what's happening. Um, I'll either come across, um, you know, earthbound human spirits that are there, or I'll get a sense for um, certain energies that are present or certain things that maybe the family's going through as well that can be helpful. So I might, um, you know, walk into the master bedroom and there's a lot of um, angry fighting energy. And that's, you know, family dynamics are going to play into the the paranormal as well. Um, you know, go into the kids' rooms, things like that, um, see kind of what the energy is like, see if I come across any entities. I open a lot of closets. I open a lot of cupboards. I go into people's basements. I go into people's attics um, just to be very thorough and just kind of check everything out. Um, and then once I feel I have enough information that I know what's going on, um, either by sensing the energy or having conversations with the spirits. Cause sometimes they're very forthcoming because I'll, I'll come across an entity and be like, um, Hey, you got to leave. You're not supposed to be here. And they'll be like, no, they invited me and told me I could stay. <laughs> and then you had to go back to the family. You had to go. So when you said you didn't know how this started <laughs> and then they kind of go. So there was this Ouija board, uh, <laughs> And then, and then you have to mm-hmm. kind of dig out what actually happens sometimes. So, so that's kind of how, how it all begins. Essentially, that's where I start. Um, and then from, depending on what I find out, I'll know then, um, how, how to go about fixing it at that point. Right. Have you ever had that sit down conversation with a family member and then whatever spirit it is, is in the family sitting there and like, just trying to spill the tea at you? <laughs> I've never had them there at the same time. Mm-hmm. I have, I have, um, 
spoken with a client, gotten one version of the story, which mm-hmm. is, it's actually very common for the clients to be like, oh yeah, no, we had no idea how this started. Cause that, that's one of the questions I, I ask right off the bat is like, so when did this begin? Um, did, did anything happen around that time? You know, did you, did you bring home antiques? Did you do home renovations? You know, did you, you know, bust out a Ouija board at a slumber party? Like, you know, they're like, no, we have no idea. And then you go to the entities and they're like, um, this is what happened. <laughs> and so you go, we'll go back. Um, a lot of times nowadays, what I'm seeing actually more than like Ouija board or anything like that is um, people who've been dabbling in witchcraft. So especially with like spirit work or like deity things where they think speaking to you know thor or whatever and it's really not um and so that's they're like and it's so funny because when i come back i'm like okay so who's practicing the witchcraft and people are often like well like i I guess that would be me and i'm like okay so can you tell me about your practice like you know what kinds of things you do and they're like i don't know i'm just like you know manifesting abundance or whatever like you know Mm -hmm. very like lackadaisical about it and you're like oh that's why you're haunted (laughs) (laughs) by the way your abundance is abundance of spirits yeah we're not specifying enough on that one (laughs) yeah and they're like oh i'll like help you find your socks maybe yeah right exactly. you'll have an abundance of the socks you lost under your exactly. bed or something yeah that's so, always fun so you kind of kind of kind of brought up something that i've i've always kind of wanted to dive in a little bit deeper with and that is bringing in like an antique so not mm-hmm. not that the house itself is haunted but that an object that a family might bring with them or move with or have had for generations do is there kind of like a, a separate attachment, a separate way of going about kind of approaching that 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 you have done or that you've that you've noticed? Yeah, it depends on what the object is. Um, and it depends on what's attached to it, of course. So the so context always matters. Um, but I have found that uh, antiques or bringing objects into the home will sometimes uh, spark activity, um, depending on where it came from, or you know, because sometimes it's just they just simply have an energy, um, like it was a, it was you know maybe this was a piece of furniture that was at a funeral home for a really long time and had a lot of really sad, grieving people that sat in it. And it just kind of becomes this, this magnet for things that like that energy or, or energy like that. Um, other times they'll come in with an active spirit attached, but so what I often tell people to do is because, you know, I personally am a big fan of antiques. So <laughs> whenever I bring them home, um, especially if they have any sort of vibe on them, um, I like to, um, you know, just kind of smoke them down with some cleansing incense. You know, I get a rag that I kind of wet down with some, like a little bit of salt water, a little bit of Florida water, whatever, and kind of just clean them up anyway, because they usually need it. Um, and that's usually enough to kind of dispel anything, but I don't pick anything up that that, that feels too weird so if you're out there and you're like oh i really like this book and you pick it up and it's it's got a weird feeling (laughs) that you're not super comfortable with uh, maybe put it down also if you come across um i i come across these quite often in antique stores where there will be um bottles that are like beaded and like really heavily decorated and like like really sealed up and i'm like nope no something is in that something Mm -hmm. is in that um, so I, I definitely recommend just, just being very mindful when antiquing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because I I get that a lot, especially because I I love going to like antique shops and just just browsing, not necessarily with the intent of purchasing, but just browsing and like going up to different things and kind of feeling, oh, you you don't like me, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like like things like that, because I know that there, at at least in the past growing up, I have probably brought home one or two things that have been, uh, you know, you pick up, you get the weird feeling and instead of going, oh, put it back. It's like, oh, this could be fun. Right. (laughs) This one could be interesting. Um, I have a friend who kind of has a knack for picking up haunted things. She actually found a a jar full of cremains in a Goodwill um, that like found its way into her cart. She like put it back on the shelf and everything. And then when she got out to her car, it was like in her cart. She was like, I accidentally stole cremains. (laughs) Um, It just kind of like came in. Um, So she has that. Um, But I also tell people too, that that's allegedly the uh, origin story of the Annabelle doll for circling back around again to the conjuring was mm-hmm. um the original group of roommates uh, one of their moms had picked it up at a secondhand store and given it to her and so you never know mm-hmm. yeah. all right jay i think our last topic that we wanted to talk about was your chapter on portals and doorways and highways, mostly because I think to me, I always thought that these were very rare. And then reading your chapter, you say not so much. So that's definitely why we want to kind of talk about them because you don't hear about those things or like when you do, it's like, Oh, there's a portal under the house. Dun, dun, dun. I love Portals. It's a great video game that I think everybody should play. That, oh, that, not that kind of portal. Different kind. Different, Different kind. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Then this is my not research a is useless here. <laughs> Though still alive or not, not alive. So you no. tell me. Are, are things alive in portals? <laughs> uh, it depends on uh, your definition of alive. We have the uh, the after alive situation. Um, portals are interesting because you're right. A lot of times when people think of portals, they think of like um, a portal to hell, or like you know, like the hell mouth from from Buffy, or like you know, some some gateway like in Stranger Things. Um, but essentially, what these are is just kind of. Um, I call them spirit transportation. A lot of the time, they're just a little window where uh, spirits can come from wherever and pop through to wherever you are at that point. And they're fairly common in haunted homes. Um, for me as a psychic, um, I, I can feel them pretty readily. Um, they'll kind of feel, have this big, either um, like drafty feeling or this kind of swirly feeling in one certain area. So they're, so they're pretty easy to pick up. Um, I teach you to do it with pendulums in the book too. Um, but essentially what you have is um, a portal that will either, they'll, they'll be kind of like one of three kinds where they'll either be pointing out of the home or they'll be pointing into the home, or they'll go both directions. And different ones will cause different activities. So especially one where um, stuff is pouring into the home, you'll have a a haunting that's very, very erratic um, and changes a lot. So like um, for like a a couple of days, it'll be like a woman in white or whatever. And then then, then she'll be gone, but then there will be like an old man and he'll stay for a little bit, but then um, weird you know, little leprechaun things will be there, you know, like when, when the activity is so dramatically varied, that's usually a sign for me that there's a portal somewhere in the house because things are coming and going 
um, and, and not staying consistent. So really inconsistent haunting. Um, it's also really important because a lot of people don't, um, take the time to either understand or address portals. And so they'll spend all this time, you know, cleansing the home, cleansing it, cleansing it, cleansing it. And, you know, two days later, they're like, oh, well, it's haunted again, but it's, you know, but this is maybe seems different or whatever it is, because stuff is just showing up all the time in the home. So it's really important to understand, you know, how to identify them, but also then how to close them or cap them or change their direction, things like that, which is all stuff that I go into in the book. Um, we also have things that I call kind of like a spirit highway, which is um, kind of like, um, there, there, there's two ways of thinking about it. It's kind of like in a Finding Nemo, the East Australian current or whatever that they jump on and it kind of takes them somewhere or um, uh, in like the airport, they have those conveyor belts in the floor, those mm-hmm. walkways that you can mm-hmm. get on and it'll kind of take you somewhere. Very similar to that, but for spirits and a lot of things will create that. So one of which is um, underground water wherever the underground water is flowing above ground, it will um, create that kind of energy current that spirits can use to just kind of take them places, um, which is very helpful for them. But if your house is built on top of underground streams, uh, then you can kind of accidentally become a bus stop for spirits. Um, Also, if there's like a, 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 your house is built in a place where an old road used to go through, but isn't there anymore. Or like a, a stretch of railroad used to go through your property. Um, it will still have that kind of momentous energy. Um, that the flowing is to, energy. Yes. That is going to uh, kind of create that. So you may find that uh, spirits are just kind of running through your house a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah. I, I wonder. I, I think yeah. uh, I was going to say, I kind of, I kind of think we got that here at, at, at my apartment. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because we we get we get a lot of passer throughs, like nothing that stays, mm-hmm. but we get a lot of a lot of passerbys. Like just uh, just, I'd say two weeks ago, uh, Sunshine and I were talking. And she's like, "Yeah, I just had like a, a a chip that I was holding in my hand, literally just get flung out of my hand, and it wasn't the cat." Mm-hmm. And then like you know we're we're doing something. It's like, okay, well I don't I don't feel anything here. I don't see anything here. And then, like a couple days later, um, something else would happen where uh, uh, something in a completely different part of the apartment, like uh, something would fall over. But then, when when I go to investigate and kind of open myself up, there's nothing there. Yeah, I feel like that's very common with apartments, though. Oh yeah, that like the energy and movement, like it's a temporary living space. And I feel like spirits know that, like that mm-hmm. means that it's temporary space for me too. Of course. Um, and then you have everyone else's spirits around you. So like mm-hmm. the lady upstairs, her late husband is hanging out too and occasionally pops into your place and <laughs> all that. You know. I'm like, what are the neighbors yeah. doing? I'm bored with you and your, your cross stitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Being in that, field and i feel that a lot when i'm walking through especially my current company has a lot of historic buildings so there's a lot of weird energy and then for the most part our um, residents are all students so there's all of that too and it's it's fun (laughs) (laughs) i bet i bet you get some interesting calls um not so much um 
for those kind of things. Like some, some little weird troubles where it's like, that's not really a maintenance request, but I've all, I'm also very new and all of our residents are very new because it's a new year. So I'm going to be interested in what happens closer to late October and probably even during the holidays. I am. I would be very interested to hear how that goes. So keep me updated on that. (laughs) I will definitely. Um, So I guess my, my last question is what is an interesting story of when the resolution was everything kind of stays the same. Like you didn't have to necessarily do anything other than just be like either a communication hub or just a, um, just like a mediator. Ah, yes. Um, I have had that one happen before where, um, so a lot of the time, whenever I have earthbound human spirits, I often really kind of recommend moving them on through the light because they can have all kinds of problems staying on this side. But every so often you kind of wrench ones where you're like, okay, you know what you're doing. Um, there was, I got the opportunity to, um, investigate the Montgomery house in Washington state. And that was a big deal because they had, it was open for investigations for a while, but then they closed it because um, somebody bought it, it became a private residence, but then the family decided to reopen it to investigations. And we were some of the first ones to get in. I, I was asked to join um, Hella Paranormal in Portland because they were invited and they invited me to come with. And when we get there, um, immediately just standing outside of the home, I can hear it like, like there's like a hundred whispers like happening in the home. I'm like, oh. The chatter. She, yeah, she haunted <laughs> for sure. <laughs> And so we go walking in and like immediately when you walk through the, the door, this is old historic home, immediately when you go walking through the door, there's this big staircase just like right in front of you. And so like a bunch of people are kind of coming in with like equipment and stuff and the family's like greeting us like, hi, like welcome. And um, I'm just immediately like off to the side, looking up at the top of the stairs and there's this woman up there in this like late sort of like 1800 sort of dress going on. Um, and she's very stern, very stern. And I'm standing there just kind of like up there looking at her, kind of like getting like a vibe read. And my friend Z, who's sitting right next to me, she's the one I was talking about who has the Ghost and Host podcast. Um, she does like automatic drawing, which is kind of like automatic writing, but it's, it's mm-hmm. a little bit more artistic. And I look down and she's, she has like a stylus pen and she's, she's just tapping at her phone like crazy. And I look down and she's drawing the exact same woman that I'm seeing. And I'm like, oh, okay, you see her too. She's like, yeah, okay. Um, So we come to find out over the course of this investigation via psychic stuff that we're picking up and then doing kind of some research too on the side um, that this is a woman named Ruth who uh, actually owned the house previously and ran it as a uh, a B&P. And well, during her life. And then when she died, um, what we came to find out through my interactions with her there is that she is still running it as a BNB um, on the other side for spirits. 
So that's part of the reason why it's still so haunted is because spirits who need a place to stay come to the house and she puts them up for however long they, they want to be there. Um, and first I was kind of worried about this because there were, there were some spirits in the home. There was like one that was very interested in one of the children. And I'm like, I'm concerned. Um, but Ruth was like, no, they behave because I make them. And I'm like, I believe you because you are scary. <laughs> um, she was a very stern spirit. And um, she ran the house with an iron fist, kept everybody in line, made sure that everybody was behaving. Um, we found something not fun in the basement, um, but it stayed down there because it was afraid of her. So I'm like, you know what? You have this under control. You have a wonderful day. <laughs> and we pretty much left it as is. I mean, the, the family wanted us to leave it as is too mm -hmm. anyway. Um, but that was one of the cases where I was like, you know what? You have this under control. <laughs> and they lived there full time with Ruth? In yep. her home? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. They must have some respect for her. They do. They have, they have a lot of respect there and, and they, um, they enjoy the activity. It really mm -hmm. doesn't get out of hand there, but they're like, no, every so often, <laughs> um, some stuff happens, but, uh, it's, it's, she keeps them all very in line. So. Oh, that, awesome. That would make an interesting movie, like from, from bed and breakfast to dead and breakfast. Right. <laughs> I love it. Ah, yes, I could see it now in that early 2000s, late 90s ghost movie kind of feel. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's so amazing. And I know in the book you talked about that particular story, but it just, mm -hmm. it caught my attention about like, I could see her walking through the house and just like taking care of the sick and then like going, no, mm -hmm. no throwing things. You scare yes. the humans. They don't like it. <laughs> we want to be here or like her just greeting somebody and like, so how long are you planning on staying? Maybe a hundred years. I don't know. Okay. That's yeah. fine. All right. Or somebody's bad enough. She's like out of my house. Right. And, and I followed like, her all through and she's going from room to room, like fluffing pillows and doing stuff and making sure that everything's in order. And I'm like, all right. All right. Okay. Yeah. If she's wow. happy. Um, you did mention at one point that she doesn't look, or ragged for being earthbound. Is that mm -hmm. a normal thing that sometimes the spirits start like looking ragged? Yeah. So I like to say that all things on this side of the light decay. Mm -hmm. So or, um, spirits are supposed to pass onto the other side. If they stay here, they're subject to all kinds of stuff. They, um, you know, they can pick up like parasites. Um, they can go through kind of what I call the madness a little bit where they can kind of go a little a little off and then it kind of spirals and then they can kind of lose themselves and lose their humanity a bit mm -hmm. um certain things will aggravate that or or slow it down so one of the things that will really slow that down is having a purpose having a job having something to do um and ruth very much had something to do she was a very stable individual um and so even though she had been earthbound for so long she was in great shape um sometimes I come across them where I'm like, okay, you need to go now because you're starting to look a little creepy. Like, you know, like stuff's starting to fade. You're, you're like, you know, sometimes they get very, very sad or, and then that will spiral. And then they'll just kind of become this, this very sad thing. That's no longer a human anymore mm -hmm. over time. Or sometimes they get very angry and then that will just kind of ramp up and ramp up until they, they kind of lose themselves in it. Um, but she was very, very stable. She was very on it. And I was like, all right, you are as sharp as attack. You do you girl. <laughs> yep. You keep going. Mm -hmm. 
Well, this has all been awesome and perfectly timed for spooky season, as we've said before. Thank you so much, Jay. Everybody, again, go out and grab The Witch's Guide to the Paranormal, How to Investigate, Communicate, and Clear Spirits by Jay Allen Cross. If you're not entertained by our conversation about it, well... This must not be the book for you because I was dead entertained. It was, it's amazing. And there's just so much more content that obviously we couldn't dive into. And I didn't want to, because I didn't want to spoil it for you. (laughs) So go ahead and grab that book. And Jay, is there anything that is coming up that you can tell us about or anywhere where people can get in touch with you if they have any questions? Um, I am doing a workshop through uh, Coffee and Cauldrons podcast, their Patreon, uh, near the end of October. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, and I will be also doing a, another workshop, a different one, on uh, creating relationships with the dead uh, through Seagrape Apothecary, which also will um, have online ticket sales as well. And that will also be towards the end of October as well. So I have those things coming up. Um, of course, by my book, and you can find me on the Instagrams. I am at Oregon Woodwitch. Um, so you can find me there, hang out, and we can be spooky together. Yay. And Jared, or Jara, sorry, Jara, where, where can we find you? Uh, of course, I'm on the Instagram under aka Hagrid Cosplay, uh, underscores between aka underscore Hagrid underscore cosplay. Um, and of course, I'm also on TikTok. Uh, az silent bob the only one there so feel free to <laughs> free, feel free to look me up and uh yeah so I, I got got those still going for me which is always fun yeah and it seems like there's a lot less underscores with hagrid a li- little bit a little bit yeah yeah but it's easier to find it is it is <laughs> and what about you autumn where can we find you Well, listeners, I haven't really touched my blog for a while, but if you want to go ahead and read my old content, there is some important stuff there. It is um, on WordPress at Iron Wolf Circle, and you can find me on Facebook at Autumn Wolf, and you can find the pod at Facebook and Instagram as Millennial Pagan Podcast or Pagan Pod. So uh, again, from all of us here at Millennial Pagan Podcasts, Merry Meet, Merry Part, and and Merry Meet again. again. You did that on purpose. I did. Mm. Spoiler alert.